0: And welcome to the world's favorite youth baseball podcast, Clearing the Bases, featuring coach Jimmy Fillingeri. I'm David Friedman. And I want to thank you for coming along this ride with us. How are we doing today, coach? Doing good today, Dave.
1: Fall is upon us. We're into the fall season, keeping me busy. Unlike the summer where I really wasn't doing much, now it's uh, back to the everyday, pretty much everyday grind and uh, loving every minute of it.
0: I was going to say, so you're back in your happy place.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, back together with the coaching staff at the high school, and big squad for the fall. We carry, I believe, we're carrying thirty, thirty-one players that will get whittled down because at the end of the fall, this is where the
0: varsity team is selected. Now, as a private school, is this sort of by invite only, or is can anybody that's at the school just show up and start practicing with you?
1: Well. It's sophomores, juniors, and seniors that all played in the program in the spring, okay? So coach will bring them in, will work them out for three days. I I say work them out. It's it's actually a tryout. And it's done in a way that certain sophomores are selected to play in the fall. And other sophomores that don't make the fall team kind of get a... I don't want to say a talking to, but they sit with the coach, and the coach explains to them that, look, we had you here. We like what we see. You're definitely going to be on the JV team in the spring. However, we feel that right now you're going to need another year before you're ready
0: for varsity-level baseball. All right, so it is it's it is so it is really by invite and just to get to that spot, though. Yeah, I mean, I
1: guess it is. It's not open to the whole school. Let's put it, put it to you that way.
0: Right, okay. Okay. Um, you know, for public schools, it's obviously if you want to sign up, you sign up and you come and you do your tryouts and all that. And I don't know how many schools do their tryouts in the fall like that. It's obviously there's, there's pluses and minuses to doing some, something like that. Just kids that obviously at that age, there's a lot of opportunity for growth and maturity in a short three or four month span. But at the end of the day, I'm sure if one of your sophomores all of a sudden come, you know, February is has uh, put on a couple inches and 20 pounds of muscle, I'm sure it's not like, oh, yeah, there's no way we're taking him up on varsity. And, uh, you know, I'm sure the opportunity is still there. Well, yeah, but it's it's
1: there in a little bit of a roundabout way, we'll say, OK, because I doubt very much that if that happened, that right off the bat in the spring they would just say, you're on the varsity team. I doubt that very much. I've never seen that happen before. But what I would say is he would play on the JV team, and if he excelled that much and there was a need, they would pull him up early to the varsity team.
0: Right, right. Do do you – I mean, we've talked a a bunch. I I don't think this has ever come up. Have you, I want to say, lost – players to the varsity team i mean obviously at the end of the year for playoffs i'm sure but that doesn't really matter but to you but like during the season have you had any players pulled up never okay and what is it this is going to be your sixth year
1: yeah i'm going into my sixth year yes
0: okay interesting that seems i don't know odds wise that just seems seems improbable like there wasn't a couple of injuries and, and things like that. But then again, maybe with the size of the squads you guys have, it's not as much of a of a thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, and, and the, you hit the nail right on the head there that the, because of the size of the squad. And I can be honest with you, as long as I've been there, I've only known two sophomores ever to be on varsity. There's never, you know, there was one a couple of years ago, he's graduated now. And then there's one on now who is a junior. So he played varsity last year um, as a sophomore, but again, that's the only two times since I've been in it has actually been a sophomore on varsity.
0: All right, gotcha. And again, uh, the differences between our schools, we also don't have a freshman program. So that's wildly different since our freshmen and sophomores and a couple of juniors all have to feed our JV team. Then again, that's, that's wildly different why our squad is the size it was. If we had a freshman program, then obviously you're talking about a lot more sophomores just being on the one squad than what you know than what you guys have. So, what um, what's your initial reaction? So you've had uh, what, two weeks of practices now, I think. So, what's your uh, initial thoughts on on the team? Mm. Any let me let me say this: any any good any real good surprises? Now you didn't see these kids all summer. Anybody that has really uh, knocked your socks off in terms of development this summer? No,
1: not really. I mean, it it pretty much is what I thought it would be, and this year is is a little different because I, you know, I want to say, and I don't know why this is, but it it seems like this is the first year where I'm helping out with the four, where all of those players that are on the field played for me at one time. I think the COVID year kind of screwed everything up, where I didn't, you know, I've never been in this situation before, so. This is the first time where I actually know what all of the players uh, pros and cons are. So, mm-hmm. I won't say that no. There, there's nobody that has really where I said wow, you know, this is different from what I saw
0: in the past.
1: Okay. All right, interesting.
0: All right. Well, but that's what these uh, that's what these next this next month or two is for, right? Is to seeing that development and see if these kids can make a big jump between what they did last year and and the spring season, anyway, so it should all be about development, right,
1: yeah, and it's definitely definitely is, and you know some of the interesting things that that I'm noticing, I mean, so kind of to your point, do I see any differences in people there's there's stuff that I do see that I wasn't able to see in the spring are the kids who played freshmen in the spring who are now sophomores, and that's something that I'm paying close attention to for obvious reasons and there are some kids on that team that really I would say at this point have a shot at making the varsity team so making that jump from freshman right to varsity although I'm looking at it like trying to downplay it and say you don't need him he's not ready I want him to play on on my team obviously but hey if the kid is good enough and he can make varsity that that's a great thing
0: right yeah that becomes a uh a tough battling that selfishness of uh, I want my, I want my team to be good, versus that's the that's kind of the 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 danger of being a mid, not mid level but mid kind of mid grade coach between the the freshman and the and the varsity team is obviously you want the varsity team everybody wants the varsity team to excel but hey you know let's uh, let's see if we can get some extra Ws under our, under our belt as well <laughs> yeah it so, just- is uh, but then it becomes all about opportunity if the kid does make varsity if he's not a starter how is that really helping him as opposed to being able to play every day you know almost never sit if he stays down on the JV that's that's the age old quandary that we run into right and
1: we do have one player that played for me as a freshman last year so sophomore this year and there's no doubt he is playing varsity this coming year he will not stay with me for two years and there's another kid that is a as a pitcher who played on a freshman team that it was funny because we we were discussing him yesterday and i said to you know cuz the varsity coach said to me you know he's got a really good shot at making the varsity program and i said you know i said look i said why don't we leave him on jv for a little while if there's a need at varsity you can always pull him up okay but right. let's start him out at jv you never know you might
0: need him you might not need him <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, at least get get me a couple games. Obviously, he'll be starting opening day because you don't know how long you're going to have him. Right, exactly. So, uh, <laughs> and when he goes uh, no-hitter through six, that's a pretty good sign you ain't going to have him for long. Exactly. But, um, yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's cool. Oh, and you're back to doing it. So you're, you're enjoying it. The time away from coaching didn't diminish your desire to be out there with the kids no it kind of goes back to everything
1: I say about being a multi-sport athlete where I want kids to get away from the game clear your head and come back fresh I feel like I'm fresh in the fall in the past I mean I'll be honest I was I was exhausted going into the fall it was it was a grind you know you start in March high school season all the way through to May. Then we started, I mean, the very next week, traveling all summer long with a travel team, then go right into the fall. You know, maybe if I didn't have a full-time job, it might be a little different, but it, it gets it gets tiring.
0: Yeah, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody at work who has very, a very young son. I think he's just turned five, and he was talking about trying to get him involved in something, and they were looking at, uh, like, one of the martial arts and I said, you know, my kids did that or my my oldest did that. My younger one had no interest in it when he was very young. I said, really, the tough thing about that is there's no season uh, as opposed to most sports. And then immediately I just said, yeah, I, I guess there's really no season with baseball anymore either. We're basically playing 11 months out of the year now. So um, I guess that's not that big of a difference, uh, whereas 15 years ago when my kid was that age or 17 years ago, there was a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: but, um, yeah. you know, if I had my way, you wouldn't be playing baseball 11 months out of the, out of the year.
0: Right. Well, that's a whole different, that's a whole different topic. So, <laughs> um, let's jump in. We, uh, let's talk about our special guest of the week. We have coach Clay Cox. He is one of the top junior college coaches in the country. He's down at Paris Junior College. That's in Paris, Texas. Not a lot of croissants down there, so don't get confused on the location. He has been there for seven years already, and he has just uh, done an amazing job with that squad. Absolutely, Dave. I mean, here's
1: another coach a lot of respect for. I've listened to him talk many times. I've read a lot of things about him and, again, piqued my interest, and I thought he'd be a good guest to share, you know, what makes him so successful as a coach. And reached out to him, and he agreed to come on the show, and I can't wait to talk to him.
0: Yeah, this is uh, another show that I wasn't able to make it to, but I'm very much looking forward to what he has to say with all the accomplishments that he and his players have had bound to be just full of useful information so without further ado let's get started with clay cox okay so today on our show we have the head
1: coach of paris junior college in paris texas clay cox welcome to the show coach
2: i appreciate you having me today
1: oh it's a thrill for me i've been uh Following you for quite a few years, I would say probably ever since you were hired at paris, and that was when was that that was in two thousand and sixteen right
2: Yes, sir, yeah, so I actually came in fifteen, spent a year as the assistant, and then I took over as the head coach in uh in two thousand and sixteen correct
1: okay, and just so everybody out there knows Paris Junior college is an n j c a a Division one school, which is the national Junior college Athletic Association. So 2022 region 14 North coach of the year, as well as the region 14 regional coach of the year.
2: That's, uh, that's, that's not me though. That's a testament to our guys and, and the, uh, what they did on the field that year. You know, I, uh, that's an award we don't get without what they do between the lines. And, and as far as I, I'm concerned, that's a coaching staff award. You know, what, what my pitching coach and recruiting coordinator does, he deserves more credit than I do. So like I got to say all the time, I was just along for the ride. Well, <laughs> But <laughs> it was a great year. Well, I, I get the
1: point about being being along for the ride. But if the guy at the top is, is not doing what he's supposed to be doing, then a lot of these things don't happen. You know, Coach, some of these numbers are it, really incredible. So – since 2016 you've had 26 all-conference selections 11 all-region selections 111 academic all-americans and you finished runner-up nationally in team gpa for four of the last five years out of 388 junior college baseball programs you know that really says a lot
2: it does you know um and actually that bio is not quite completely updated the uh this year after chasing it for eight years, we were crowned the National Junior College Athletic Association um, National Academic Team of the Year for baseball. We had the ties team, team GPA in junior college baseball at over 400 teams with a 3.88. And so... You know, it's uh, it's something that we talk about quite a bit. We wanna we wanna win in everything we do. Competition breeds success. And you know, we're trying to set these young men up for life. And as much as we wanna build better ball players, we wanna build better young men. And so, you know, we, we are firm believers that winning is a byproduct. And so if we take care of the little things, the big things like winning are gonna take care of themselves. And so, you know, it's one of those things that we've been chasing that, and, and we talk about it from day one that you know we're here to get a degree as much as we are play baseball. And so our guys know that we take pride in that. And they were, you know, it was it was a long time coming, and we finally we finally up into Daytona State, who they had won it I think eleven years in a row. And so. It was a good way to top off our year. You know, we finished, uh, we, we won a regional championship this year. We played in a super regional to go to the World Series. We finished the year top 20 in the country in the final NJCAA rankings, and we were the national academic team of the year. So I think it was a, a testament for us to be able to say, hey, you can win on the field and you can be good in the classroom. You don't have to have one or the other. And so that's what we've been trying to prove, and I think we did that this year.
1: Yeah, I think that says a lot because us guys down at the lower levels, we preach this all the time about your academics, how important they are. And in all honesty, what really matters is how you do academically, because right off the bat, if you don't do well academically in high school, then you're not going to be able to get into the school that you want to go to to possibly play baseball. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because I want people to understand that, yes, academics always has to be first.
2: It does. You know, And we talk about it to all our recruits and all our players that are here that nine times out of ten, if you leave junior college with a 3-0 or better, you're going to get academic money stock- stacked on top of your athletic money. You know, we've got plenty of guys that have gone on to the four-year level. And and they're on they're on full rides essentially because they're academics and they're athletics, you know. And a lot of people will sit there and say, Ah, oh, well you, there's no such thing as a full ride at Division One and this and that and, and there may not be athletically very often, but you know, you have ways to to do it in other ways and, and that's one of the things that we, we preach is, you know, that's uh all the money you spend on travel ball, all the money you spend on gear, all those things, you know, it's at least a little bit of return on investment if you'll handle your grades and you can get some academic money on top of the athletic.
1: Absolutely. So one of the things that gets me about junior colleges, and I want to tell you something, first and foremost, I am a big proponent of players going to junior college to start their college careers. But w- one of the things that kind of jumps out at me is that is my situation as a uh, JV coach for a high school and a junior college coach's role, they're kind of similar because you only see your players one to two
2: years. That's one of the hardest parts about junior college, especially when it comes to establishing and retaining culture, right, is you're turning over pretty much half your roster every year. Like you're talking about the JV level, right? Those guys are there for a year, maybe two, and then they're moving on up to varsity. And so very similar in that aspect for sure.
1: Yeah. And I, I mean, I find it to be very challenging because, like you said, you're trying to set a culture. For the most part, a lot of these players come from all different programs, we'll say. And one program's culture may be different from another to another. We're trying to unify all of that. And again, in a year or two, it's very difficult to do and then hand them off to, to the varsity coach. And then, you know, he'll continue, obviously, but we need to set that foundation. The other thing, too, is that. Typically, and correct me if I'm wrong, but junior college coaching staff will tend to be smaller than, say, like a four-year school.
2: <laughs> Very much so. You know, now there's some there's some junior colleges. We're in, we're in one of the toughest regions in the country down here in Region 14, and then Region 5 in West Texas and New Mexico is obviously another really talented region, and then, you, you know, you talk about Florida and, and the Midwest and, and those places, but we're in one of the toughest regions in the country. I would say that, you know, there's a couple staffs that – they're very fortunate to have a, a, a boatload of guys on, on staff. Uh, for me here at Paris, it's myself and my pitching coach who's my recruiting coordinator as well. There's two of us. And so <laughs> we've got our work cut out for us, you know, and that's one of the reasons that we keep our, our roster size lower than a lot of junior colleges is that, you know, we need to have a manageable roster size to be able to give those players the the attention they need individually uh, for player development. And so it's tough, right? I mean, we're taking care of the field. We're we're you know study hall, weight room, where we're practicing, and so to do that with two guys, uh, we spend a lot of time together. <laughs> it's uh, it's a testament to, you know, I, I say it all the time. You're, you're only as good as the people you're around and the people you hire, and, and I'm very fortunate uh, with Coach Provet, Coach Boone, uh, our pitching coach, recruiting coordinator. He's done a hell of a job for us going into our third year together, and so, but yeah, it's it's a small staff and it's a it's a lot of work. You know, I, I talk about it all the time. A lot of people like to say, uh, you know, if you love it, it's not a grind. Junior college is a grind. It's an absolute grind. But you grind because you love it. And that's both on the player side of it and on the coach's side of it. And so, you know, where you're talking about getting these guys for only a year or two, for us, you know, it's tough, right, because the four years they're recruiting their guys. For a junior college, you're recruiting your guys to come in there and help you win and keep your culture. And then you're also having to get your guys recruited. To the four-year school, so you're really burning the candle on both ends, and so we're having to we're having to recruit while we get our guys recruited. So there's a lot that goes into it, um, and a lot of hours. But typically, yeah, your staffs are, are a little bit smaller.
1: Now, you said you carry a smaller roster. How many do you carry?
2: We we cap out at thirty-five. Uh, I would tell you that we're usually more uh, in that thirty to thirty-three range in the fall, but we we cap hard cap our roster at thirty-five you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of junior colleges that that bring in more um but you know that for us again that's where we feel comfortable that's where we feel like is our kind of niche and our honey hole we we have something going that's working really well for us and so that's that's about where we sit typically in the fall
1: well i can tell you that that's that in itself is a challenge even though as far as the college ranks are concerned you know that being a small roster because i usually carry anywhere from 20 to 25 players and i'm in the same situation it's just you know me and another coach and boy oh boy i find it hard with with you know 20 to 25 i can't imagine if i had 35 it's difficult
2: <laughs> it is you know and it, it it becomes being creative with your practice plans and early work and Making sure that each position group is getting what they need individually. Uh, making sure that you know your, your hitters are getting the attention they need, your pitchers are getting the attention they need. But again, I think for us, it's it's been it's been the norm. You know, I've been doing it for I guess nine years now at this level, and it's been two coaches the whole time. And so, you know, it, don't get me wrong, I would I'd love to have a, a plethora of coaches to be able to do with what we need to, but. We found what works for us, and and we continue to roll with it. And so, it, but it is—it's it's a challenge in itself for sure.
1: Right. So, when when you when your players first get to campus, your first meeting with your with your players, you go through some stuff in the classroom. Is that correct?
2: Do you mean as far as talking about our academics, or as far as classroom when we start to introduce some of our baseball stuff?
1: Baseball stuff. Yeah. When you first present this to the to your players.
2: Yeah. So. It's more of just a, uh, a team meeting. Um, we talk about our academics, we talk about our team roles. Uh, everybody kind of introduces themselves gets to know each other. That's on Saturday they move in on Monday we start we start our meetings, and you know we've got our hitters meetings, our pitchers meetings. infield obviously gets a little bit uh, They probably sometimes get too much of me. <laughs> it's kind of my baby, my passion, obviously. Yes. and so they they uh, they get a little bit more. Um, but you know, yeah, we start those right out of the gate. And and for me, um, we try to introduce a lot of things before we get on the field. I want these guys to have an understanding of what we're trying to do. A lot of guys, obviously today in today's world are visual learners. And so we try to, Hey, this is our catch play. So we're going to show you a video and be able to walk through what we do. So when we go to the field on our first day of catch play, it's not something that's, brand new to you it's something that you've kind of seen and now you've been introduced to now we can correct and coach from there and so we start to introduce a lot of things and just our base you know the base things in our offense and what we pride ourselves on what we're truly trying to do with our offense those type things pitching wise throwing program our recovery and that stuff and so we introduced all that early right out of the gate and then kind of build upon that once we get onto the field
1: yeah, so when I first found out that, that you did it this way, and I'm sure there's a lot of other coaches that do it this way, but when, um, when I read about you doing it, um, it kind of jumped out at me because, it's something that I can tell you that moving forward, I'm going to adopt. I love the idea of taking the boys, bring them into classroom. Like you said, go through the throwing program, go through prep step stuff, the drills that we're going to do, and show them a video. I love that because we waste a lot of time going out to the field and spending a couple of practices just running through drills and getting the players to understand how to do them correctly.
2: Yeah, and that's that's what essentially started all of this for me. I think ABCA Dallas a few years back was when I, I really kinda brought this to the table. And, you know, for me, we have group me messages for our positions. We have group me messages for our hitters, our pitchers. And so, you know, if we're gonna do a new a new drill uh, infield-wise that day, what I'll do is I'll send a video in the group me that morning to the infielders to say, Hey, take a look at this. This is the drill we're gonna do this afternoon, we're gonna implement this, this is why that way they have a chance to go through and visually see the drill. Cause like you're talking about, I think the worst thing we could do, I mean, I, I, we, we always talk about this generation, their attention span and those things. Well, I mean, I, I'm an older generation, but my attention span is still the same way. I think that if <laughs> I'm sitting out there listening to somebody hold a fungo and talk for 10 minutes, I'm probably losing interest if I'm ready to fill ground balls. Right. And so it eliminated having to go out there, stand, introduce the drill, talk for 10 minutes and, them having lost focus by the time we were getting to the nuts and bolts of it, like you said earlier. And so what that does is now, Hey, we can get there quickly, refresh in 30 seconds to a minute of, Hey, this is the drill that we taught. We showed this morning in the group me message, let's get into it. And then I can start coaching the the finer points of it during the drill, you know, and, and not having to stand out there and talk and then yell, you know, with a fungo 100 feet away, hey, this is what you're doing. Uh, this is what we should be doing. And so it's, it's eliminated a lot of that. It's eliminated a lot of the downtime and practice in those things when we can implement that. And don't get me wrong, we're not perfect with it, but anytime I can get a hold of something and get it to them um, beforehand, I think it just makes the transition smoother, it makes things run a little better. You know, like that first infield meeting, I mean, we talked about our ball lanes, uh, we talked about our prep step, and we talked about our catch play, you know, and I'm a firm believer in, you know, prep step is our foundation, right? And if you've got all this money and you're going to, sorry, I'm getting a little into the infield off topic, but... If, if we're gonna build you know this multi-million dollar mansion, we gotta start with a good foundation. We gotta start with a good base. And for me, that's our prep step and our pre-pitch routine. And so, you know, if we, if we build this beautiful mansion, but we have a terrible foundation, it's just gonna eventually crumble anyway. And so in order to put ourselves in the best possible scenario to be uh, efficient on the dirt, we have to have a good prep step and pre-pitch routine. Um, and so, you know, we talk about those things in that first meeting. So when we get out there that first week, they have a feel for what we're looking for. Um, and then we can really start to isolate certain points and, and certain drills.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't have a problem with you going into the infield stuff because I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that that's your baby. So we might as well <laughs> roll with it. But the one thing that I did want to highlight was when you said you used the GroupMe app to send video to your players. Again, I, I, I love that. I mean, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, I think like I said, I think it's uh, eliminated a lot of downtime. What it's also done is we try to uh, we try to cultivate a culture within that group that, hey man, if you see something that you like, send it to the group. Me, you know, hey, th- look at this play that that you know Arenado made last night, or here's a drill that I found. You know, what what do you guys think about this? Or you know, sometimes it's hey man, look at this, <clears throat> look at this prep step. That's just you know exactly what we're looking for. You know, and guys start to communicate a little bit in there and, and that's what we want we want guys to be able to uh, to bring some some ownership to it you know I'm a firm believer in kind of what we call the extra tool and um, for me that's that's self-correction uh, and when guys can understand what we're doing enough that they can tell me what they did wrong without me having to just feed them that information then we we' then I know we've got it Right, when, when we're playing in a fall game and, and, you know, a guy comes off and left out, this is two years ago, I can still remember this one, there was a left-handed hitter, he, he capped a, a slow roller to third, third baseman fielded it, took a four-step pattern, threw it, it was a plus runner, bang, bang play, guy was safe, and, and after the third out, they come defense comes running off, and I get to him before I can even say anything. He said, I took a, I took a four-step and I should have took a two-step there slap him on the butt and you know tell him to go get a bat and those are the things that when they when they can realize what they're doing i you know i don't i think too many times we just say hey this is what you did and they don't necessarily understand when i like to say hey do you know what you did there and then see if they can give us that answer Uh, at the same time you know sometimes it's we may be wrong you know, you might not see something that they see there on the field. And I, Hey man, why did you do this right here? Well, it was a green runner. He hit the ball, you know, he pulled the ball in the hole here last time. So I did this. Okay. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see that, but you know, maybe you did, or maybe you you picked up on something that I didn't in that at bat while you were out there on the field. And so, you know, there's plenty of times that guys, guys give me their thought process and I go, Hey, that's a good thought, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think too many times we, we constrict our players, by just telling them what we think or we know and not getting their input, not letting them have ownership in certain things. And, you know, they're not truly learning at that point. If you're giving them all the answers, they're just retaining knowledge. You know, they're not actually learning. And so um, I'm a firm believer and I want these guys to be able to leave here. And, you know, when I can look up, I'm doing my infield chart and, somebody's in my way in the dugout and I go, Hey, what was that? And, I, and a pitcher looks up and go, Hey, it was a four step, two hand, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Everybody gets it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and So th- those are the things that are fun for me.
1: I'm the same way player comes off the field. The first thing I'll say, if, if something went wrong, you know, a uh, player will come off the field and I'll just look at him and just, say, okay, but what happened there? Not, you did this or you did that, or, you know, let's not do this. No. Hey, bud, what happened? You know, he'll and like you said, if he has a complete understanding of what he was supposed to do, they come right out. Oh coach, I did this, this, this. Okay, bud, no problem. You know, like you said, let's get him next time. Go get it back. Very simple.
2: Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And that you know, I don't know that as a young coach I did that, right? You know, I was more of giving him answers and, and you think you you have all the knowledge, but it's As I've grown uh, and grown in the game, and and being a lifelong learner, you you realize, hey man, that's not the answer—or at least in our, you know, our system, it's not. I want guys to truly learn. And at this level, right, what is our goal? Our goal is to develop players to be able to go play at a high level in four-year baseball. Or, you know, we're one of the only junior colleges in the country that put out uh, draft picks straight out of our institution in the last two drafts. You know, we had a third baseman to go to the Yankees last year. Our center fielder drafted by Cleveland this year, and so. We're trying to get these guys to those levels and, and for us, I want them to be prepared to take a job from somebody when they get to that level. And so development doesn't just include, you know, the the skill set of the game. It includes the IQ, it includes the savvy and those things. And so we've gotta we've gotta make a well rounded ball player to help them get to where they wanna be.
1: I understand completely about being a lifelong learner and The only way I became a a better coach was by being a lifelong learner. To this day, I'm going to be 61 years old, and I'm still trying to learn stuff every single
2: day. Yep, absolutely. Let's
1: go to, like, when you're recruiting, what type of players Mm -hmm. are you looking for?
2: It's a great question. We kind of subscribe to the Gary Gilmore, Coastal Carolina approach. And, and I heard Coach say this. I think it was maybe at my first ABCA. I think it was Orlando maybe. You know, obviously ABCA opens up with a national championship coach. And I, I remember Gary saying, recruit the athlete, build the ball player. Love and that. so we recruit athletes and, and we build ball players. You know, um, we're looking we're looking for what we call it, It's it's hard to – to, to give it a, a quantitative uh, answer on this. But we're looking for what we call an OKG, our kind of guy. And, you know, we had, we had been saying that for years. I think Degs, when he was at Sam, kind of coined that OKG phrase. And we've used it since then. And, you know, but we need a guy that's well-rounded, right? Obviously, we need a guy that can handle his his business in the classroom. We, we've talked about what we what we expect in the classroom. Uh, we want physical athletes. You know, we want guys that are good ball players. We want guys that are uh, well-rounded. Now, you know, I know that sounds like a generic coaching answer, so if you want to break it down a little more and go more hitter-pitcher, honestly, you know, what's made us successful in the last few years since we've really turned a corner um, in about 2020 when this thing started really heading in the right direction, we we really started priding ourselves in our offense on our two-strike approach. And, you know, we're looking for guys, you know – I think it's funny. Maybe I'm different than, than a lot of people, but I hear, I, I see on Twitter all the time, well, I've never had a college coach ask me for a player's stats. Well, uh, I am. <laughs> I, need to know, I, I need to know what he's doing against that competition. You know, I mean, I've been around the state of Texas a long time. I, I coached in three out of the four high school regions before making the jump to college baseball. And so I know quite a bit about the high school levels here. And I know what you know, if a guy's at a small school, what he should kind of roughly be hitting if he's potentially a player for us, same at the bigger schools, you know, obviously it's better competition when you're at a 6A with a bunch of POs that are straight baseball guys, but I do, I, I want to know how many times, what, what a guy's strikeout to walk ratio is in high school, you know, if a guy has a, a 25, 25 to 5 strikeout to walk ratio in high school, probably not a guy for our offense, mm-hmm. you know, we're not looking for guys that, hit 250 with with eight or nine bombs. That's not who our offense is. You know, we led the country in triples two years ago. We've been top 10 in stolen bases every year. Uh, we create a high-pressure offense, and so we need athletes. Um, we like runners, and we like guys that don't strike out. You know, I mean, we got a guy that's got a, a 5 to 20 strikeout-to-walk ratio, and, you know, he hit 400, and he's, he's swiping some bags, and we see, hey, man, we go watching, and, hey, the contact rate's great. The bat-to-ball skill's really good. That's a guy that can probably play in our offense. We can teach some things, right? Um, and, and on the pitching side of things, yeah, you know, everybody talks about 90. Everybody talks about the magic number and it's a radar gun era and this and that. Um, <laughs> We had a guy that was 78 to 80 that closed out the regional championship last year. You know, a low three-quarter guy. Now, don't get me wrong. We don't have a staff full of those guys, but that guy could really pitch. Well, that's Um, the the whole thing. I'm
1: I'm going to interrupt you there for a second because that's something that we try and hammer home at the high school level is (laughs) I really don't give a crap how hard you throw the damn ball if you can't throw a strike. There's a way to pitch. It's not just reaching back and throwing the ball as hard as you can.
2: Right, and and you know, and and I might get I might get crucified for some of the things I say here when it comes to the pitching by by some of those because you know I know there's a lot of people online. Hey, man, you know if you are 78 miles an hour, you're probably not going to throw in college or you're not going to throw at a high level. And again, you know, um, uh, an average starter for us in our conference, this is a really good region. An average starter is probably 89, 92 with a three pitch mix. You know, back end guys in our conference are running it up 96, 97. Um, a stock guy for us is eighty six, eighty eight. 88 um, you know, from the right side. And we got a lefty right now that's a returner that's 88-91. All of those things are great. But for us, as much as it is about, you know, it, it's about can you throw multiple pitches? Can you command multiple pitches? And, and I think that's what, you know, won us a regional championship last year. Uh, the wind was blowing in. Our guys filled up the zone. And, and our offense, you know, was seeing a beach ball. And so, you know, we clicked on all cylinders. And, again, I'm not saying we got a staff full of guys that are 80-82. We don't. You know, it's not not at our level. It's not. But we can have a couple of those guys. I mean, that guy that closed it out for us, man, was was one of the best relievers in the conference, <laughs> uh, you know, because he could command three pitches, and he was an absolute bulldog on the mound. And, uh, you know, and the, and going into the ninth inning, the – it was the second time in three days to, to close out a game in that regional tournament. And going into the ninth, he had transferred in from another junior college. He looked at me and he said, this is what I came here for. I told you this is what we're going to do. And he went out and, and he closed it out. And, you know, um, there's a, a number of different things, but guys like that. You know, we play with here at Paris, we play with a, a blue-collar type guy, uh, nose in the dirt, Nose in the dirt, probably under-recruited a lot of the times, chip on the shoulder. Um, you know, if, if you look at what we've done on paper, we probably shouldn't do it a lot of years. But uh, our guys are bought in. They're playing for the guy next to them. And, and we understand that, you know, the, the, de- the, the more games we win, the deeper we go. <clears throat> the deeper we go, the more they get seen. The more they get seen, the more opportunities they're going to have to sign with four-year schools. And, you know, when you can get that culture that nobody cares who gets the credit, that's what we're looking for. And, and the last few years, that's what it's been, you know, guys saying, Hey man, we talk about it to our guys all the time. You know, we're looking for guys that, that they're going to go out and compete for a job every day. But if the other guy in your position is out there on the field, you're his biggest fan. And if you're out there, he's your biggest fan. You know, um, I look back to, to 2015 when I was at West Alabama and we won a Gulf South conference championship. We were ranked as high as fourth in the country. Um, hosted a regional loss to Tampa and Joe Urso, who ended up winning it all that year. And, uh, we had, we had two left fielders. We had a righty and a lefty, man. And, you know, depending on who was on the bump, if there was a lefty on the bump, the righty was in the lineup. And as soon as they went to a righty, here comes our, our lefty. And those two guys, I mean, they, they were each other's biggest fan. If, if one of them got on deck and a new pitcher came in, the other guy went in, and that other guy stood right there on that rail. And was and was you know pulling for him to get the knock, and that was the reason we were so good that year. Nobody cared. Um, they were they were completely selfless. That's the kind of guys we're looking for: selfless teammates <clears throat> that are willing to be you know. And, and the other the other aspect of it is being coachable, right? Uh, if you've got a guy who just thinks they know everything, doesn't want to be coachable, you're not going to make it here. We're going to do everything we can to to make it better, um, but. That's a that's a long answer and probably ran kind of ran around the question a little bit, but uh, there's a lot of different things we look for, but we're looking for the guys that fit us, and that's the that's the other word right there is fit. You know, we tell guys all the time, don't go chase the biggest offer, don't chase the the biggest name, go find the right fit that you know is home. And and so when we got those guys, you know, and it's been great this first week on campus seeing this group. The, the energy and the culture already and just the chemistry has been it's been fun to see. Uh and it's one of those you feel like, okay, hey, this could be a really special year for us. If this if this kind of chemistry is, is already in the first week, we can hold on to it, then there's gonna be a chance that maybe we can do something special again. Yeah,
1: I, it, it it's becoming like a little bit of a theme for this show lately because uh, a couple of weeks ago I spoke to Trent Mongero and he considers himself to be a blue-collar coach. You just mentioned that you like that blue-collar approach. And I, I think it's important, <coughs> those guys that are grinders, those guys that are going to fight it out, those guys that are going to get a base hit and think two out of the box instead of just being satisfied with, with a single, those are the guys that we want.
2: Yeah, and that's 100% right, and, and like I said earlier, when you said grinder, it is, you know, people, a lot of guys think they've played a lot of baseball, until you get to junior college, you have no idea, uh, we're playing 25 to 30 games in the fall, we're playing a 56 game regular season schedule, plus postseason in the spring, uh, most of our guys are going out and playing another 40 to 60 games in the summer, you know, on top of that, like I said earlier, you've got weights, you've got study hall, you've got yoga, you've got um classes so all of those things you have to be able to grind it is not for the faint of heart um you know when we get here in august they really don't get a break until early november you know we'll give them the weekends off in the off season after we've lifted all week but august september october there's really not any downtime I mean, we're going six to seven days a week we're playing 16 to 18 inning games twice a week and those are you know, a lot of time there, there's four people in the stands. There's no scoreboard. It's inning one through 18. We don't drag it in between. I mean, we just roll. And so, you know, it's seven hours of just baseball and in Texas in September, it's a hundred degrees. And so, you know, it, it makes for, it makes for long days, but you know, that's what we talk to these guys about is that's the things that we look back and we go through the fall and in the fall here will probably be one of the toughest things you do both physically and mentally in your life. But for us, when we can look back in the spring and the dog days of it, and we're chasing a conference championship in April and say, hey, you know, these guys can band, bond together and say, look, we got through the fall. We made it through all of that. This is nothing. We can do this. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's what we're chasing.
1: Right. And, and and you would know this better than most because you were a high school coach and worked your way through high school up to becoming a college coach. But you would you would understand this, that, you know, the biggest jump in baseball is from high school to college because it's such a different environment.
2: Yeah, I mean, it is right. I mean, the amount of hours that are put in being away from home for the first time. um, uh, you know, you're battling the homesickness. You're battling trying to really manage your time. You don't have somebody over your shoulder, twenty four seven, going, "Hey, you got to be here. Hey, you got to do this." Mom's not waking you up and cooking your breakfast. It's a it's a huge adjustment, and, and that's what you know that can make or break some guys. You know, uh, sometimes you know you you find guys just it's not it's not for them, but it, it's it's a major jump, and and I think just in. Uh, in time, the de- the time that you have to devote, obviously, um, this is now somewhat of a job. You're here to get a degree. You know, we talk about it all the time. You know, Paris is a town of 25,000 people. I think it's a great sized town. I mean, I didn't get a stoplight in my hometown until I was in college. Um, <laughs> when I was at the University of West Alabama, I was 35 minutes from the nearest Walmart. We've got a Walmart here, so I feel like I'm in the big city. Uh, but <laughs> I tell people all the time, you know it's enough that you got everything you need, but it's not so much that it takes away from what you're here to do. And that's two things. And that's, that's get a degree and that's play baseball. And so, you know, it's awesome because with that and not having all these distractions, you'll see, I mean, all throughout the day, every day, you know, when guys aren't in class or in the evening, there's guys hitting in our cages, there's guys down here getting extra work in because that's what they're here to do. And, now they're filling their free time with that. You know, I mean, we have been 27 out of, I was doing the math the other day, 27 out of 32 of our guys got a, a gym membership to a certain gym in town the other day. And those guys are going and getting an extra lift in every single day. Right. And they're going together. And again, that's the chemistry. That's the, that's the camaraderie. They're doing all these things together. They're putting in the work. You know, we, we talk about it all the time that if you're doing the bare minimum, you're going to get the bare minimum. And, and you, at this point, you talk about the jump from high school to college, in college, you know, you are directly responsible for your career at that point. If you want to continue to play, if you want to get a starting spot and you want to stay on a roster, it's up to you. You know, there's no more just a good arm, you know, at, at the high school level. It's 86, 88. A lot of time can get away with a fastball and a good breaking ball, right? And they can strike you out 90% of the lineup. But now you get up here and every hitter was the four hole in their, in their, on their team. Every hitter was all district, all state. You better find a third pitch to go with it if you want to get through some lineups. And so, there's a lot of things that go into it, but that jump from from high school to college is is definitely a uh, there's a huge gap.
1: Right now, you had just mentioned something about putting the time in, and we 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 had a guest on maybe a couple of months ago. His name is Eric Holtz, and. This is a line that I, I've stolen from him. It's mine now, where he said there is no way that you could put in 50% of anything and expect to get 100% out.
2: That's great. I might steal that as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so one thing you touched on that you didn't spend a lot of time on, and I want to go to this because I think that this is mm-hmm. really cool the way you do this. Um, the two-strike approach, Okay. We try and teach our players to win every pitch, regardless of whether you're on defense or on offense, but there seemed to be a theme of win every pitch with two strikes on you. Could you explain that a little bit?
2: Yeah, so uh, this kind of goes into the infield side of things where I'm, I'm just super passionate about this topic because I, I truly think that this was a turning point for our program. Um, and, and, you know, over the last three years, we've won 110 games. We've played for a regional championship. We've won a regional championship. We've won a conference championship. We've, you know, we've done a lot of things, and in that time, it's offensively, you know, it's because of what we've been able to do, and then on top of that, the culture that that, that happened in that, in that time frame. But in 2000, I'll back it up to 2019, 2019, we had probably a top twenty offense in the country in junior college, um, and we led the country in strikeouts. <laughs> oh. And so, and yeah, that's not that's not who I am. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a feast or famine guy. I I'm believing getting on base and creating pressure and doing those things. And so in 2019, I got a lot of I had a lot of great dudes on that team and guys that you know come up for alumni weekend and then I'm still really close with. But I had a lot of personalities that I think if I would have tried to, it would have been too late for one, but if I would have tried to implement a two-strike approach, uh, I, I don't think it would have been met well. I, you know, I think I think we would have had some, some, uh, some button of heads. And so the fall of 2019 gets here, and in the first offensive meeting, those meetings we were talking about earlier, I said, look, I said we had a great offense, but we led the country in strikeouts. I said, and that's asinine. I said we will not do that again. And so I said, this is you know we we give what I call offensive freedom with our guys. I don't I don't recruit guys to come in here and change them. I don't recruit guys to just come in here and change a swing. If they one, I recruit good hitters. Coach Boone recruits good hitters. Where you're already a good hitter if you're coming to play here. We're not recruiting bad hitters. You know. <laughs> Two, you've been swinging the same way you've been swinging for a long time. So you know. Hitting is comfort. Hitting is 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 uh, is trust and its feel, its confidence. And so, if I start changing you right out of the gate, there's there's no reason for that. I'm not trying to make a cookie cutter out of you. So we give guys freedom. You swing the way you swing. If, if you're hitting 380, I'm not touching you. Now we're going to talk approach. We're going to talk, you know, what we're looking for. We're going to talk scouting report and what this pitcher likes to bring. But I'm not changing. Now you're hitting a buck 80. We're going to get on film and then we're going to look at some things. And we could probably find something and we'll fix it. But with that being said, I said, "Hey, look, man! I give you the offensive freedom. I let you be who you are. But the one thing you are absolutely going to do this year is we are going to a unified two strike approach." I talked to uh, Cheese over at Mississippi State. They had just come off the Natty, I believe, and, and uh, or played in Omaha that year. I don't remember which year it was, but um, you know, one of my players had brought up, "Hey, you see, you know, Mississippi State giving the chest pound to, to the third base coach." And so I call and we talk about it. And uh, I said, "Look, man, if this is good enough for Mississippi State and Omaha, it, it's good enough for the Dragons in Paris." Okay, and so we implemented. Uh, you know, we we get up on the dish, we widen out, we're short to the baseball, uh, we expand in and out, not up and down. And one of the things that we do is is before that two strike pitch, you go through your two, you step now. Now the pitch clock, we got to be careful, right? We step one foot out. <laughs> we have to we have to really find a routine that that is within the time frame of the pitch clock, but you go through your routine, you look at me and then you pound your chest twice and I pound it back to you. And what I can really tell when guys are, are locked in and when they're not, um, because once I get to know everybody and we've been through a fall or into the spring, I know their two strike approach. I'm typically, there's a lot of time there's a deep breath in there and I'm breathing with them. And, you know, I just, I know. And so if a guy misses something, I'm like, Hey, he just, you know, he, he missed, he missed it. And, and so what that does though for us, the big thing with the, the chest pounding, it makes us mentally say, hey, this is a this is a two-strike count. I have to lock in. I have to focus. I will not go down. I'm in battle mode. Instead of just stepping in the box like it's another pitch. Because our goal as an offense is is to get pitch count up. That's what we talk about. We want to chase that starter before the fifth, all right, and then We want to get to the bullpen. The deeper we get in the bullpen, the better off we are, especially in a three-game series. And so our goal is to get the pitch count up. So we have a chart, and there's more ways to win than there is to lose in our two-strike battle. But a foul ball, that's a win for us in a two-strike count because now you've got to throw another pitch, all right? A walk, a hit-by-pitch, an error, right? We talk about it all the time. I would rather you, with two strikes, roll over a weak ground ball to shortstop then to go down looking or swinging. At least now they have to field the ball, they have to throw the ball, they have to catch the ball, and we have forced them to have to do something. We put the pressure on those guys. We got a lot of guys that can run, and guys know it. You know, our, our center fielder. I mean, the amount of drags and, and and you know infield singles he could get. You know, that just got drafted by Cleveland. I mean, they knew, hey, if this ball's on the ground in the infield, <laughs> we better we better get rid of it. And so we we truly talk about the pressure that we can put on guys. And so every pitch that we win is another pitch that that guy has to throw. And so in 2021, when we won the conference, we had the fewest strikeouts per ADs in the country. Um I think we were at like four, four and a half a game. This year we were at five to five and a half, which was a little higher than one. And we want to be below five, but it was still really, really good. Right. Yep. When we're talking about in 2019, we were looking at like 10 to 11 a game. Wow. And so, you know, every time we put a ball in play, that's a chance that that defense has to mess something up. And so we are all about creating pressure. We're a high-octane offense, and we're going to we're gonna force you to make plays. And so that two-strike approach, the other thing we do is we force you to, to get off the knob at least an inch. I like you to go even more, obviously the barrel control, but I force you to get off at least an inch. That's so great. What happened? Ha- ha- yeah, go ahead. No, I
1: was just going to say that's great because that's not taught anymore. Go ahead.
2: Right, you know, and, and so what happens is is the first couple of weeks you'll see guys thinking they're doing it and then you watch them sliding down to the knob and, you know, you're, hey, man, get off the knob, do this. They they don't necessarily fight it, it's just not comfortable. What happens is once they buy in and they really start seeing the success of it, and it's great because our sophomores come back and they're like, hey, man, this works. Like, you know, I, I didn't, I'm, I, one of the things that that I love is, you know, I talked to a lot of guys in the SEC, the big 12 coaches that, that one of the things I'll tell you, and, and people don't realize this, Hey man, the first report that our, our analytics guys pull are walk to strikeout ratio. And so we want to see if a guy's getting on base mm-hmm. and, you know, if he's swinging and missing 50 times a year, he better be hitting 20 pumps. Um, you know? And so a lot of people don't realize that, that, that walk to strikeout ratio is huge. And we get that comment a lot from Division one coaches. They go down our roster and they go, Man, you guys, your walk to strikeout is great. I mean, we had a one-to-one as a team in, in 2021, which is phenomenal. Um, and so, you know, we, we focus on all of those things and, and what happens is guys kind of it's uncomfortable at first. Once they start buying in, they realize, hey man, this is a huge asset to me. They realize you know, finally they, they'll, they'll run one out of the yard in a two-strike approach and go, oh, I didn't lose the power that I thought I was going to lose here. I still put a good swing on it. And I got my, you know, I got a good pitch that he made a mistake on. And then the other thing, you know, is what it's really made for me that makes it better is now you, you get up there and a lot of times and you get that oo oh fastball right over the white and you go, ah, I missed my pitch. And the rest of the at-bat, you're going, I should have got that fastball. I missed my pitch. Now what happens is, I'm as comfortable in a two strike count as I am. o. so if I miss that pitch, I go, Oh, well, I'll get another one. I'll get another one. I'm as good with two strikes as I am. OO. and so it, it just allows you a comfort level to say, Hey man, I'm, I'm good. I'm good with two strikes. I mean, we had a young man named Sam Creed on that 20 and 21 team um, that hit lead off a scrappy little lefty. I mean, he wore, he wore guard gloves, his bat gloves and <laughs> he would choke up three, you know, halfway up the handle and man, he'd lead off a game, and and the first at-bat of game, he fouls off, you know, 10 pitches, and it's a 14, 15 pitch at-bat, and then he walks. And you're like, hey, man, he just used an innings work with that guy's pitches in the lead-off at-bat. And so, you know, those type of things are things that how we put pressure on guys and and what we preach. But, you know, that's something that we will work on that two-strike approach uh, every day, you know, whether it's in the cage on a tee, whether it's in a round on BP. uh, But it's something that, you know, we have to – we have to live by. And since we have, it's really been, you know, it's, it's been big for us. There's not, not a lot of guys, you know, I, I think maybe one or two guys in the last three years has reached 30 strikeouts in a wow. season, you know? And so, um, you know, if you can do that, then you have a chance to get in a lineup, getting on base, moving, um, all of those things are, are things we're going to be able to, to, produce a lot of runs with Wow, that number is, is
1: unbelievable. Thirty strikeouts <laughs> no more than thirty strikeouts in a season. That's that's incredible. Yeah, you guys are around sixty games, right?
2: Yeah, so fifty-six regular season, and I think we played what, three, five, so we played probably sixty one games last year. So Wow.
1: That's that's a phenomenal number. Wow. I mean that's great. I I, I have to say that the routine you have of patting your chest and the, the coach giving the same signal back. I, I love it. Clears the head, uh, makes you aware of the task at hand. I mean, you know, let's face it, I, and I've always said this, hitting most of the game, but hitting in particular is mental.
2: The, the- For sure. Yeah, and you know, and and going back to that walk to strikeout and those things, I mean, uh, our third baseman was drafted by the Yankees two years ago. Um, he's in A-ball with them right now. He had... Uh, and now he's don't get me wrong he's uncanny right but he had eight strikeouts and 256 at-bats his oh my God. Year. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know that and that's but that's what got him drafted right i mean the bats to ball skill was there um he was physical you know and it's like hey man this guy does not strike out our, our center fielder that got drafted this year i mean you know in college he was a two and a half two years here was probably a two and a half or three to one uh, walk, the strikeout guy, plus runner, Goal Glover in center field, left-handed hitter. So you know a lot of things that worked out for him, but neither one of those guys struck out a lot, and and that's one of the things that that clubs loved about him. You know, every club will tell you, man, our analytics reports we run that guy pops up because he doesn't strike out, and so you know it, it wins ball games, it gets you seen. Um, there's obviously a lot more that goes into it. There's a lot of things that, that other factors are playing as well, but that's definitely a huge plus.
1: Um. Another thing, when coaches make mistakes, because we all know that we're not perfect, we all make mistakes. Yep. How important is it for the coach to own those mistakes?
2: <laughs> I'm glad you asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I honestly was just talking to somebody about this the other day, and our guys will tell you, we I, I and I mentioned it in our first meeting. You know, we want guys to. To be grown men right and we ask them to take ownership we ask them you know i tell them hey man if you screw up i want to know about it from you i don't want to know about it from somebody else i promise you things are going to be a lot better if you can man up and come tell me hey coach i messed up this is what i did it's huge i i think it shows some vulnerability i think it shows that that you trust them i think that they understand the human aspect of it and they go okay hey man if coach is willing to do that you're asking these guys to do it. <laughs> you got to do it. You know, I, I happened to me last year, right? I think uh, uh runner coming in a third, and I got a little lazy. Um, I didn't I didn't get big and, you know, right there, right there, right there. And he rounds the bag. We get thrown out at home. Um, came in the clubhouse afterwards. I said, hey, man, I, I screwed that one up. I said, I, I, I got caught at the ball. I didn't get big. I, I got lazy right there in that situation, and I cost us a run. I said that's on me. I think it's. I think it's really important. I think that guys have to know that you know, hey, we're all in this thing together, and you know, I think too many times coaches take this aura about them that they're, you know, it's their way or the highway, and they don't do anything wrong, and and you know, it's kind of the elephant in the room when you don't talk about it, right? Like, hey, man, well, he didn't, he didn't feel like he did, you know, he didn't do that there. Um, <laughs> you know, I know there's there, there's obviously you know, if I, you know, I've, I've always been a firm believer in taking ownership and responsibility of, of your mistakes. And, um, you know, so if I've done that, whether it be in a game or, Hey man, I, you know, I did this and I shouldn't have, um, uh, that's on me, you know, I, and I'll apologize to a guy and for everybody. Hey man, you know, that, that mistake was on me. Um, uh, and so I think it's, I think it's a very important thing in the clubhouse to build, build culture and, and respect I think that they know when you're willing to own yours that there's, there's another level of respect there. Uh, you know, we talk about it all the time. We break it out every day to family and this truly is a family. And, you know, we, we talk about it all the time, right? Like families, families have, they've got tiffs and uh, you know, you're, you're, you are you do not always get along with your siblings. When we talk about the team as a whole and their brothers, you know, we're like, Hey man, you don't always get along with your siblings, but you know, you love them and you do anything for them. And um, same thing, you know, I mean, I, I own it, you know, I'll do the same thing with my kid at home, you know, with the boys, if I, you know, Hey, daddy should have done that. So, uh, you know, and I think that goes a long way in also showing them that, Hey man, that's what it looks like. And that's how I want to be. You know, you get out in the real world. I, I think it's, it's honestly in, in the professional world, it's, it's, uh, it's the same thing. You know, I, there's been times in, in my professional career where, I, you know, somebody's, uh, a superior has come in to say something to me and, and I go, yeah, I, I did that. I screwed up. I own it. And it kind of takes them off guard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, Absolutely. They're, uh, Oh, what, what? And I'm like, I did it. I messed up. And I, you know, I say I, whatever reprimand you need to give me, give me. Yeah. And it's kind of like, Oh, well, okay. You know, and, and there's not enough people that do it anymore. And so I think it does catch people off guard when you do that. But Um, Long answer short, I think it's huge. I think that, you know, we're all in this together. Coaches aren't perfect. And if you try to portray that you are, then I think you're going to create more faction than you are trust.
1: Yeah, I I could not agree with you more. And you even made reference to it that, especially nowadays, because I find that the the younger guys, you know, teenagers this year, they – are not quick, we'll say. They're not quick to admit when they made a mistake or, you know, there's always a reason. There's always, I don't know if I want to use the word excuse so much, but we'll just use the word reason. But I think that if we could teach them, like you said, that we're not perfect and, hey, guys, I made a mistake. I own that. It's on me. Let's go. And the other thing that I think that it teaches players, which is really important, is that through our actions, we'll be showing them that we made a mistake. We put it behind us, and we're moving forward. Because that's something that they really need to know.
2: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: So let's let's go on to something else here. That I love this. So we we had we had uh, a gentleman on again. This is probably last year and. He's from the XL Sports Institute, and he was talking about the difference between transactional and transformational coaches now from what i from what I understand, you are more of the transformational type of coach, so let's get into that a little bit
2: yeah, I actually have on the bill of my cap underneath I have tNT transformational not transactional mm-hmm. uh, written on the bill of my cap and you know that goes back to a long time ago and I think that if you're looking for what can I get out of this, then then you're wrong. Right? I, as a young coach, I chased I chased rings, you know, and, and I got some. And very fortunate to be a part of some great teams. But you know, it was always about you know, it was a, I've always loved my guys. I've always taken care of my guys. I've always built uh, you know really strong relationships with them. But I think I I, I worried too much about chasing those things and, and not hey man, this is this is what this is really about. For us as junior college coaches, um, I, I want to win it every year, right? And we're knocking on the door of getting back to Grand Junction for the first time in decades. Uh, you know, we're we're on the verge of of crushing through that that goal. But for me, the wins are when I can watch a super regional on ESPN, and one of our guys is on the mound, and you know he's throwing he's throwing in the ninth inning against bandy and go, Hey man, that's our guy. That's our guy right there. That's a dragon. Those are the wins for me. Um, the wins for me are, you know, when in June, one of our guys from the 21 team got married and 23 out of 28 guys on the roster were there. Right. Those are wins. And I know a lot of people probably go, Oh man, you know, that's, that's Twitter clickbait. He's just, you know, he's, you know, it's not who no man, it really is. I think if you ask any of our guys, um, It's crazy because you know junior college. There's so many. There's so many things that you don't have that all these other places have, and we got guys that'll go to a power five, and we got guys that'll go play pro ball and and do these things. And they'll tell you, man, the best two years of my life were at Paris. And I, I I literally, you could survey our guys, and the majority of them would tell you that. And that's the thing for me that that makes it worthwhile you know when when somebody does something great and and it blows up in the in the alumni group me hey man you know congrats all those guys still talking years down the road that's what it means to me um you know i don't know necessarily as a young coach i understood it as much i think even more so in the last three years since i've had kids uh, has that just even amplified more but you know I've always been a firm believer in we're trying to make these bit as much as we're here to build ball players. We're here to build better young. men. Yes. I want guys who are successful out in the real world. I want guys who are, who are great husbands, great fathers um, that are CEOs that, that, you know, down the road, uh, you know, I get guys that'll, Hey coach, I, I had one last year. You, know, you used to tell us if you take care of the little things, the big things like winning you're going to take care of themselves. And I was like, yeah. He said, Hey, I'm, I'm going up for a supervisor position at my job. And I'm, creating a presentation can i use that quote absolutely man um you know hey coach i i was late that one day to practice i'll tell you what i've never been late to work (laughs) 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 after after i was late that one day you know and and creating creating those kind of habits for the real world Um, baseball is going to be done one day but you're going to have to do a lot of other things in life and so we want to make sure that you're prepared for that and you know there's a lot of things uh, the, the conversations you have with some of these guys, you know, it, it's crazy to know what they're going through. Um, and, and I'm fortunate enough that, you know, most guys feel the comfort level and know that we have an open door that they need to come talk about something. They can talk about it. And, Absolutely. um, some of the, some of the things that, you know, guys are going through, that, you know, you just, you never know. And, and I think sometimes we, you know, we look at guys and we go, man, what, what's his problem, man? What's going on? Like, and you just kind of, you know, you don't want to put it off. And it's, like, hey, man, you know, sometimes just going over there and putting your arm around them. Hey, man, you all right today? What's going on? Sometimes that's all it takes today, man, it's it's just been a tough day. This is what's going on. Well, hey, man, we're here for you, you know. Let's, let's you know, if you need to go do this. And we're a firm believer, you know, in taking care of – family always comes first. If a guy comes up, man, hey, you know, this or that's going on, we're going to, you know, we're going to let you go take care of your family stuff. Baseball is always going to be here when you get back. Yeah. Family, you know, family is first. And so transformational, not transactional, it's not what I can get out of these guys, you know, and, and there's plenty of there's plenty of, of, you know, places I feel like are that way, you know, hey, what can I get? What can I get out of this? And it's just not who we are. And again, I think that comes back to, like I said earlier, I think winning is a byproduct. You know, when you take care of people and, and those people take care of you and you're in this thing for, for each other, then I think, you know, that's when you really start to see, um things take off
1: at the end of the show. And I end every single show this way. And it's a very simple thing. And I'm sure you've heard this, this uh, phrase many, many times people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care,
2: how much you care.
1: Absolutely. And I live by that. And you know, the, the proof in the pudding is, you know, I've coached many, many kids throughout the years and I'll still every now and then get a text message, you know, Hey coach, I'm struggling. Could we talk? Now these are guys that have haven't yep. coached in five, six years, maybe even maybe even longer and you know th- there's no greater feeling than knowing that you're actually helping this this kid
2: no that's that's the truth and um you know knowing that they trust you enough to to reach out to you in those situations um you know feels like hey we, we did something right when they were here. And so, you know, and I'll be honest with you, not, not everybody gets it. Um, we are, you know, this is a very tough place to, to succeed. It's very, like I said, the fall is very hard. It's a grind. Uh, and, and sometimes it's not for people. And so maybe they don't see what it truly is. But when you get to the end of the year with that 30 guys and, you know, we talk about it every year. When we leave after the postseason's over, no matter if we have a, a reunion down the road or one of those teams inducted into the Hall of Fame, somebody's not going to be able to make it, whether it be a family issue or kids or whatever's going on. So we're getting ready to leave that clubhouse the last time. It's, it's hey, this is the last time we will all ever be together. And uh, it really just kind of sinks in, you know, and, and the last few years, we break it out that last time and nobody leaves for two or three hours. They just sit here, you know, and it's like, man, um, you know, I mean, 2020, right? When COVID hit, it was a hard one. Uh, we, we had to get off. We, we were on our way to a game. We turned the bus around. We came back. And in the back, you know, I, I'm telling guys, hey, man, this is going to be like the swine flu in, in 08. We're going to be back in a couple of weeks. No big deal. But everybody's crying and, and, you know, in a bad, in a pit of your stomach, you're going, man, if this is the last time this group's ever together, this is, this is not the way it's supposed to go. And that group, I, I really think 2020 is the, is the group that, you know, we were like 17 and, and three outside of one series going into a conference and, and sitting, sitting at the top of conference. And I think that was the group, in my opinion, that really turned the culture for us. And the fact they never got to, experience what that that dog pile felt like and i think they would have um but to to leave it the way we did you know i mean and just seeing every guy in that clubhouse crying you know like man it's not supposed to go like this um you knew the relationships that they built the, the chemistry they built with each other um and those are the things that you know really just just hit home for you is that these guys know that man it was hard but we did it together and we we accomplished a lot of great goals. And so, you know, it's something that's just they, they forever have uh, to hold on to.
1: That's fantastic. I love that. So in the beginning, we, we talked a little bit about, and I said that I'm, I'm a strong advocate for junior college baseball. Why don't you give me your, obviously, you're going to have uh, a stronger opinion than I do because you're in it. But talk to us a little bit about junior college baseball and how this is a good avenue for players to take
2: yeah so give you my best sales pitch on on juco huh? yes that's <laughs> uh, what i want <laughs> i'm obviously i'm obviously a, a very big proponent and advocate for it you know I, I think in today's day and age um with the transfer portal and we're seeing just how many things that's creating and in nil and portal and all of this stuff um If you take two players in the same class, right, and uh, player A and player B. and Player B, uh, he goes to a a big four-year university, and player A goes to junior college. Player B, unless he is just a a stellar talent, is probably going to redshirt, you know, with all those 22- and 23-year-old portal guys, while player A goes over here to junior college and he gets 60 to 70 at-bats in the fall season. Then say, let's just go with spring season. Let's say he gets 150 at-bats his freshman year. Player B redshirted, okay? Sophomore year, next year, player B over at that that university, he gets, let's say, 75 at-bats. And now player A at the junior college is starting every day, and he gets 250 at-bats. Now player A the junior year, he goes over to that same institution that player B is at. He's got 400 at-bats underneath his belt to player B's 75, He's proven. He's been through the ringer. He's grinded it out. He's had, you know, his two full fall seasons. He's had, you know, he's played 150-plus college games and then probably summer ball on top of that. So now he's going over there and he's going to take that job from player B when player B finally thinks it's his year. um, It's an opportunity to go in and get at bats right away. Now, I, I love when... People kind of think, oh well, this player he's good. He'll just go start every day at junior college. <laughs> you know, <laughs> come, come, come see, come see what we're putting out. You know, I mean, when when you roll out, you know, and, and we're you know across the infield, we're six three two fifteen, six one one eighty five, six foot two hundred. You know, uh, 6'4", 225. two twenty five. We're big, we're physical. It's not saying that you're going to be the everyday guy as a freshman, but you're going to get those at bats your freshman year most likely. You're going to get some time. You got a chance to try to go take that job, right? um, and get more at bats as well as, you know, on the flip side of that, on, on the academic side, you got a chance to go get your feet wet academically as much as you do athletically. So, you know, I, I came from a town where I graduated with 133 people. And when I got to A&M, my freshman biology class, I had 500 people in it, you know, it was bigger than my high school. And so, you know, <laughs> I, I was lost. Uh, you, you go to junior college and your classes are 25 to 30. They're similar to high school. You know, you have a, a relationship with the professor that, you know, that, that you get to, to build and, on a first-name basis and so you get a chance to not just be thrown into um this this world of academics it's tough but it's it's for me it's about the opportunity to go get the experience and potential playing time right out of the gate it's typically a lot more cost efficient um you know i mean a lot of private universities even after the great academic money you know you're still paying 25 to 30 K. Um, yeah. whereas, you know, it's a lot more uh, financially feasible at the junior college level. Uh, it, it lets you, uh, stay draft eligible every year. You know, if you're a potential pro prospect, you're going to be draft eligible both years you come out of junior college. And so I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an avenue that people, They don't, they, a lot of times there's a skewed perspective on, like I said, oh, I'll just go to junior college and and I'll play every day. Well, that's not the case, but you have a chance to go in there and and compete for a job against 18 to 20 year olds where, you know, going in there against those 22 and 23 year olds that have been in a system for four to five years, you're probably not going to have as much success with, uh, it's, you know, a lot of time you go to there, you red shirt, you bounce back. A lot of those guys end up at a junior college anyway, their sophomore year. Well, they still lost that freshman year when that other freshman was getting all those at-bats. You know, he they were red-shirting over here before they went to junior college. Um, it's an opportunity to – I think I think you appreciate things more when you go the junior college route. You know, I, I tell guys all the time, I'm not a used car salesman. I won't <laughs> guarantee you something that I can't. Um, I'm not going to sit here and tell you, hey, man, you're going to be our everyday guy if you come here when I give you the recruiting pitch because anybody that is telling you that – they're lying to you because if you're not playing good, you're not going to be their everyday guy. Right. But you know, for us, I'll guarantee you two things. One, you're going to be tougher because it's going to be a grind. Like we've talked about plenty throughout this, this episode. And then two, you're going to learn to appreciate things more when you've rode, you know, too deep on a bus, sleeping four to a hotel, eating PB and (laughs) J's. And now you get to that big time university and you're flying on a charter jet to a super regional eating a state dinner. And you got, you know, student managers taping your back grip on for you. Um, You know, you are thankful for those things because of where you came from and you respect them. And, you know, for us, the guys that want to play pro ball and, and have the opportunity to do so, um, everybody thinks pro ball is sexy. It's not really sexy until you get into the higher ranks, you know, you're getting up into double A and triple A. A lot of times rookie ball is, is, you know, it's uh, it's, it's a lot like junior college, you know, the, now there, I'll say this in the last few years, things have gotten a lot better. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of teams that have built apartments that are complex and things are, are moving in the right direction finally at that level. But you've been through that grind. You know, I had a player call me last year and say, Hey, you know, you always told us that, uh, you know, pro ball was going to be like junior college all over again. I'm, I'm sleeping five guys to a one, a uh, one room apartment. He's like, you know, these other guys are, are moaning and crying. He goes, I feel like I'm back at Hatcher Hall. He goes, I don't get me wrong. I want to get to double A as soon as I can, but this is no big deal, for me. <laughs> you know? So it kind of gives you an, a, you know, a, an opportunity to get adjusted to what that pro ball lifestyle may be by like a little bit um, mm-hmm. more so than that guy who went to the, the sec school for four years and all he's ever known is, is that life, you know, it's almost a step back a lot of times. Um, but I just, I just think there's so many uh, benefits to to the junior college level, that, that people may not realize, uh, and they may not realize the talent level. You know, I mean, if you look at it, um, you know, in our eight years, a hundred percent of our sophomores have graduated with an associate's degree. A hundred percent of our sophomores have had offers to play four year baseball and almost 85% of those have gone on to play division one baseball. And so you know, a lot of times at the junior college level, you're really playing against Division One talent. You know, maybe it's a guy that just lacks one tool, you know, or, hey, man, he's he's really speedy, he's got a good glove, but, you know, he just doesn't hit for average enough right now. Or, you know, hey, he's got to get a little better defensively. Um, but a lot of the times you're playing against, you know, that, that caliber of talent at the junior college level. And, you know, for us, we want guys that they have bigger, and, and I say it this way, we understand that Paris junior college is a stopping point. I don't want guys that just want to play two more years of baseball. We want guys that have bigger goals and aspirations. Um, And we just ask you to be the best you can be at PJC. The rest is going to take care of itself. And so, you know, we want those type of guys to come in here that, that have bigger, bigger aspirations. And that's our job is to get them out. And so I think that a lot of guys will tell you that when you get to that four year, you get out, you know, there's, there's kind of that, you get in the clubhouse at that your four year school and, those juco guys kind of tend to you know congregate together cuz they got a lot in common and guys are kind of cutting corner eyes and going man those 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 juco guys those dudes are dirt bags man they'll they'll come <laughs> take your job watch out for them you know they've been through the ringer and so um, you know i just think that it's a uh, it's a great avenue for a lot of players for a lot of different reasons uh, but it's something that you know i'm very passionate about and i think just over the last few years you've seen junior college just you know it, advance even further with social media and the coverage of you know there's so many now outlets that are covering junior college on a consistent basis and there's so much more information out there about it more so than there used to be of hey man the only reason you go to junior college is because you don't have good grades or or you're trying to get drafted you know it's kind of what it used to be on the stigma of it but it's not so much anymore it's a uh, There's a lot of talent at this level spread across the country.
1: Yeah, I think a big part of it is reaching the parents because whether it be Little League, travel baseball, high school baseball, the what I find is that convincing the parents of what's best for the player is a very difficult thing to do. And I'm going to use an example of something that's happening right now with one of my former players. Now, I coached him probably – maybe about 3 4 years ago in travel baseball he went on you know he's he's moving into his senior year in high school right now and he's a a very effective pitcher he's sitting about 78 touching about 80 you know but effective he can he can pitch and they're pushing and pushing and pushing d1 d2 d1 d2 and i keep telling his dad no let's send him to a junior college let him hone his skills there. He's going to get bigger, stronger, faster, and then if he wants to go on and play at these other levels, then he can. And I got to tell you, Clay, it is so hard to conv- convince a parent that that's a good road to go down.
2: Yeah, it is, and I think I think a big part of it too, um, with a lot of uh, a lot of kids and players these days is being honest with yourself about the level that you're capable of playing at you know everybody wants to go play division one ball right everybody wants to go play pro baseball but if that's where you're at velocity wise knowing hey that's probably not going to be an option right and so finding somewhere that you can go develop and then seeing what your options can be later um and, and there is i mean you know there's there's Plenty of times that you know, even at our level, I mean, guys will call us about a guy, and, and we go watch. We're like, "Hey, man, like, you know, come watch us play and see what we're putting on the field, you know, and, and know what we're capable of, of, of doing with guys." But I think, I think, yeah, you know, it's it's great when you get families in that go, "Hey, we're 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 all about the juco route." Like we've seen his travel ball buddies or his high school buddies go to the division one and then get cut right before, you know, cause all these portal guys where they get dropped in December. And that's not what we want to do. We want to go play. We want to play every day. You know, we want to try to be an everyday guy at a junior college and then go play at that, that four year. And so to see that, you know, that uh, thought process is is always nice because a lot of times it really is like you're talking about it. It's, it's convincing them. And, and a lot of times, you know, with us, it's, it tends to be, you know, an high academic guy. And right. Sometimes it's like, Hey man, guy's got a 35 ACT. Like, Hey bud, you probably shouldn't go to your college. You know I mean? That I'd love to have you, but you know, you're going to get this money over here at this school um, with, with that ACT. And so it's being honest with them there as well. But you know, we, uh, I think that it, you gotta, you gotta realize where you're capable of going to and what you're capable, what level you're capable of playing at uh, and then trying to see what, what could be next.
1: Well, that that all comes down to something that I believe in where, as a coach, I would consider myself to be brutally honest. So, I will tell a parent, y- you're being unrealistic. He is not a right. X-level player. He fits here. And, right. like you said, to convince him of that, well, that's a different story. But I'm going to tell you how it is, and then you do what you want with it. And that's pretty much what it comes down to. Definitely. So... But I got to tell you, Coach, this was a great conversation. I could probably keep going with you for another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> but I know you probably no, I, got. I've th- enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I know you've probably got things to do. So I'm, I'm assuming that you'll be in Dallas in January, right?
2: I, I will. Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, I it's like right there in the backyard. looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an hour and a half down the road. So we'll. We'll definitely be
1: there. Well, I'll definitely seek you out when we get there and come and say hello. And I really, really appreciate you coming on. I know that your time is valuable, and this has been great. Why don't you just give a little bit about uh, contact information? So if people want to contact you, maybe they're interested in Paris Junior College. Oh, wait a minute. I have another question. Yeah. Parish Junior College, where do you get your players from? I mean, do you, do you have, like, dorms and stuff where you could take players from different parts of the country, or or are they just pretty much local guys?
2: Yeah, no, it's a great question, right? So a, a large majority of our roster is all across the state of Texas, right? I mean, uh, there, there's a, a very high level of talent uh, throughout the state. And, and so a large majority of our roster comes from Texas, but – you know, every year we've got a handful of out-of-state guys. Um, you know, we've, got, we've had guys from from Washington to California to um, the East Coast to Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic. Uh, you know, we've had guys from kind of all over. And so, you know, we, we try to go find the best players um, and, and the best fit for us. And so that's an out-of-state guy. It's an out-of-state guy. You know, we obviously try to recruit uh, Texas as heavily as we can because there's just such a – you know, there's so the talent. There's so many talented players in the state, but we do we do get out of state as well. We have dorms. Uh, all our all our guys live on campus. Um, you know, and, and it's a nice junior college campus. You get where you want to go in five minutes. I think the dorms for us is a big part of why. We have the chemistry we do because those guys are together all the time. You know, they live together in the dorm. They, they go to the classes together. They eat together in a calf. And so I think that's a big piece of our chemistry is being able to have on campus housing and, and all our guys being on one wing of the dorm together. But yeah, we recruit from all over, you know, uh, we're, we're looking for the best players and the best fit for us. That means it's a guy from out of state. It's a guy from out of state. Um, you know, but I'd tell you probably usually about 90 to 95% of our roster is from Texas and then we go pick the guys that we, we like from, from other states and, and bring those guys in as well.
1: That's great to know because, uh, again, if we get players here in New York, which I know is a far long, is, is, is a very far distance, it would, be, it would be nice to send them down to you.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. weather's a lot warmer down here, I can tell you that. Oh, my God. <laughs> it, gets, <laughs> it gets play a little bit more probably. <laughs> I,
1: I could tell you our, our spring seasons here are absolutely brutal.
2: No doubt, you know that's a. Uh, a lot of times, uh, those those Division ones up north will pay a lot more for a kid from the south. You know, whether it be junior college or or high school, because they're getting to play year round. It's great competition down here, and so they know that those guys, you know, typically have a lot more experience and and have been playing, you know, longer seasons throughout sure. the years. Or so
1: yeah, yeah. So okay, so let's let us let us run through your, your contact information and then I'll let you go enjoy your family for the rest of the day.
2: Yes, sir. So uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Coach Cox19, Coach Cox19, where uh, my email address is C C O X at Paris P-A-R-I-S-J-C dot edu. Um, and you know, my, all my contact information is on our Paris JC website as well. Um, so, you know, I, 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 love connecting and, uh, feel free to reach out, whether it be about, you know, something we talked about today or whether it be about players that, that may potentially be a fit for us. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I also serve as the athletic director and kinesiology program coordinator. So, uh, there's a lot on the plate. So sometimes I may miss an email or a DM, but uh, if I do, feel free to, to hit me up again. You're not bothering me. Uh, you know, I might have just missed it in all the hustle and bustle. I know it took us a little while to connect, and, you know, I <laughs> yep. apologize, but uh, I'm glad we finally got got to make it happen. And, uh, again, same kind of thing, right? You reach back out, and I was like, man, I, I had you on the list to, to call for a while now. And so, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we were able to do that. But, yeah, you know, feel free to reach out, whether it be uh, you want to just talk some shop or, or you potentially have some players for us, we would, we would love to connect
1: that's great the other thing too i want people to understand and maybe you could go through this real quick too is um your infield U. we didn't touch on
2: yes no so you know we uh we started infield U. um it's a it's an infield specific uh camp that that we do um, to try to hone some defensive skills and you know um COVID hit and we had two babies in that time frame and so we you know kind of took a little bit of a hiatus but we're we're about ready to ramp it back up and get going but you know for us um, we we talk about it a lot right when you see players going and working on their game what are they what are they going to work on hitting <laughs> they're going to the cages right <laughs> and so that's everybody goes to the cages goes to the cages um i have just such a passion and a love for infield play that i wanted to be able to um, to share that with with younger players and so you know our camps are specific for infield um, and and they they range a great great range from eight to eighteen years old we have something for everybody uh, but you know for me it's awesome when we go host these camps and you see how many players want to come out and work on their their defensive skills you know and and I think that especially when you start talking about, you know, premier positions like shortstop, right? You, you gotta be able to defend it. And, and so we want to be able to help that. A lot of the things that we do at the camp are things that you can take away and do on your own. You know, a lot of drills and, and, and progressions that you can work, you know, with a buddy or with mom or dad or by yourself with a wall. And so there's a lot of things we do that, you know, you can, you can take in and, and do those things. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of great videos and, and some things that we're hopefully trying to put together um to, to make it even more uh accessible and 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 more of a, a benefit for for those that, that want to be involved. And so yeah, we're um, that's at InfieldU on Twitter. We're we're looking to ramp those camps back up and, and get excited for that and, and helping guys, you know, get better defensively.
1: Yeah, so I encourage everybody out there to look that up, infieldu.com and that'll be something that I'm sure will help you. So coach, I can't thank you enough. This has been a pleasure. And, you know, I, like I said, I I look forward to seeing you in Dallas. Say hello, shake hands and maybe talk a little bit more.
2: Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And I can't thank you enough for having me. Uh, it's, it's been great. You know, uh, good talk shop all day long. And so this is, you know, I thought you had some great questions and some that I haven't had before. And so Uh, It's been fun sharing, and and I look forward to getting to see you in Dallas and uh, talk some more.
1: Great. The pleasure was all mine. Take care, Coach, and uh, enjoy the rest of the day.
2: You too. Thank you. Bye now.
1: All right.
0: That was our conversation with Clay Cox. What did you think, Coach?
1: You know, to be honest with you, Dave, I thought it was going to be a good conversation before I even hit that record button. But I got to say it was a fantastic conversation. It was more than I expected.
0: You know, for somebody who has accomplished as much as he has in a short period of time, he's, he's not a, an old guy like us. He's, I'm not sure. I'm thinking he's in his 30s still. He has accomplished an awful lot. And the first thing that struck me about him was his humility. I think it might have been the first thing he talked about was saying that he can't take credit for it. It's all about the boys and about his staff. And that's not something you hear very often. Yeah. And, you know, let's face it, most successful coaches are
1: humble like that. And I think that that's what makes them successful. I mean, think about it. If it's all about you, and we talk about this in in many different instances, that people are going to pick up on that. Whereas if you're a person that is all about the team as a whole, and, yeah, maybe his success he's, in his mind, a little part of and the whole team is the ones that should be celebrated those are the guys that i feel usually succeed
0: yeah i mean it's what we talk about plenty of times the whole balance of the ego you have to have an ego to do this to lead anybody you have to have some ego but when it gets out of control and it's all and it is all about you and what you've done and how you've you know you've created this machine that's where it becomes a turnoff to people. And is that somebody, especially in this day and age, this is not like it was 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you know, in this day and age, is that somebody kids are going to want to go bust their ass and play for? Right.
1: Yeah. And really, I mean, let's face it. He's a good leader. Otherwise he wouldn't have all of those accolades. So, you know, there's a lot of it that has to do with his approach to coaching and the way he leads his team. That's, that's evident. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I wanted I wanted to really hammer home is everybody has heard me talk about the importance of JUCO College and how I feel that junior colleges are a good avenue for players to take. And Coach Cox was our first JUCO coach, and, and I think he hit it out of the park. I mean, I think that people will now understand how exciting junior college can be.
0: Well, yeah, and how much – how much help it can be in terms of your development? You look at it. Um, you know they've had a couple of uh, people get drafted straight into the majors. If that's your goal, they've had countless people that have moved on to a Division One or Division Two school. Uh, just last year, twenty-seven players were academic All-Americans. Yeah, you don't think that looks good on a player's resume when he's applying for the next step? I mean, that's that's amazing. If, what do you say? Has thirty-something um, kids on the roster? 35. 35 and 27 were academic All-Americans. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty damn impressive. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, everybody out there should take notice.
1: Junior college is a great avenue. Everybody poo-pooes it. You know, everybody wants to, you know, D1, D2, this, that, and the other thing. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, especially in this day and age with the, with the transfer portal, I don't see why – Every high school player wouldn't want to go to JUCO first and get that experience. I mean, Coach Cox explained it greatly when he said that, you know, if you go to a four-year school right off the bat, you're going to get red shirted, you're going to be playing behind other players, or I shouldn't even say playing, you're going to be sitting behind other players. You're not going to get many at-bats. But meanwhile, these guys that are coming up from junior college have, you know, hundreds of at-bats under their belt already at the college level. And I know me as a coach, I'm going I'm to take that into
0: consideration. Yeah, and and the and the competition level is it's probably close to on par with a with a D two, uh, you know, with the, with an average D two school, if not if not better. I mean, you do have the age thing, but at that level, uh, it's probably not as big of a deal.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and also what people need to understand is that there's D one, D two, and D three levels of junior college, so in in the in the case of Paris Junior College, they're a D one junior college program. They play in a very tough conference. And what better place to to get exposure and get experience?
0: Right. And like you said, when we talk about experience, there is nothing to replicate live reps. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So right. the uh
1: the, the one thing that I'm I'm really disappointed in and it's my fault. So I have to push the door open for Coach Cox to possibly come back because he is a great infield instructor, and I wanted to get to it, but we got caught up in the conversation that kept going and going and going, and I actually was never able to, to get to that subject, but I would love to have him back on to talk about his was infield drills and the way he works with his infielders. And there's just a lot of stuff there that uh, we never even got to. And I'm really disappointed because it would have been good for our listeners.
0: Well, yeah, and that's that's a different type of direction. It's one of those things where there is just, I I guess, not infinite, but Oh, yeah, there's there's an infinite amount of things that you can talk to with an experienced coach like that. So you can't cram it all into an hour. As you see, you got had trouble getting to uh, even close to that point on this one. So uh, definitely a candidate to have back and uh, would certainly look forward to doing that. You know, one of the things that you guys did talk about was in terms of effort. And you talked about, uh, you know, if you don't put in 100 percent effort, how would you expect to get 100 percent results? And that's something that obviously I believe in. We want everybody to have positive mental attitude at all time, PMA, hundred percent effort at all times and good things will happen. Now I could tell you were itching to say something during your talk with him as you kind of skated around it a few times, but go ahead and give us your final thoughts there, coach.
1: (laughs) Well, actually I don't know if I skated around it. I think I actually said it at one point, but coach Cox, Is one of those coaches, and and, and we touched touched upon it during the conversation when he said he has TNT written in his hat, which is transformational, not transactional. So what better sign is there from a coach to tell you that he understands people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care? Thanks, everyone, and we'll see you on the next one.